0: We're going to continue our sermon series this morning, and it's titled Witnesses. And don't worry, we won't go through the questions again this week. Um, but we should know that we are called to be witnesses, right? Acts 1.8 says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So that's our call. That's what we've been given. And a witness is both two things, right? So a witness is someone who observes something. So if we were to witness that game, right, we would be able to say, hey, we were there. We saw it happen. It was amazing. If we witnessed a car accident, um, we saw it actually happen. But a witness is also called to proclaim and to testify. So a witness is brought in court, right, and that witness has a testimony that they bear. So two, two parts of witness, both to see and then to proclaim. So this morning, as we're going through and, and we're just remembering what the book of Acts says in that context, we are witnesses. We're called to be witnesses, just as we're going to see how Paul was a witness and the other apostles uh, in the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 21, 37, through ch- uh, chapter 22, 29. So as you're trying to find that, uh, I'm going to read it in a minute, and I'd love it if you'd read along with me. So kids, it's towards the back. Adults, also towards the back. Um, So as you're trying to find Acts 21, the end of that chapter, and then we're going to read most of 22 together. We're coming to a passage where Paul is imprisoned in Jerusalem, and so we actually have skipped a little bit of text, and and so I'm going to just recap that story for you. Last we saw Paul last week, when, when we were sharing about his address to the Ephesian elders, he was in Miletus. And so then he got on a ship from there, and he was sailing towards Jerusalem, and he went to a couple different places on his way. And, and a couple of those places he said, man, this going to Jerusalem may not be the best idea. There's going to be some people there that remember when you persecuted the church and, and how that happened. And so maybe it's not a good idea, but we're given in Paul Paul's response in 21, verse 13, he says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart for I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So Again, this is the text that's leading up to what we're going to talk about this morning, but we've got to know the story. Paul is going to Jerusalem knowing that some bad things are going to happen. He he believes that. He's okay with that. He says, I don't even care if I'm in prison. I don't even care if I die, that they may hear it. And so Paul gets to Jerusalem. He goes and he visits some of the leaders in the church. James talks with them about the law. And there's some discussion about freedom in the law and, and how he needs to adhere to some more th- uh, things of the law. And so there's just this discussion that they have. And then Paul submits to their authority and does some of the things they ask him to do. And while he's submitting to their authority, he goes to the temple and, and he's uh, arrested because of one of the things that he's been asked to do, which is take these four guys to the temple during their time and, uh, for purification. And so there's this plot that's set up against them by the religious Jews, not, not the Jews that are necessarily uh, believing that Jesus is the Lord, but the, the Hebrew people. And so there's a plot set up, and they, there's a riot that's incited. Okay? So that's, this is in um, the end of chapter 21, 27 through 35. There's a riot that's incited, and, and these people beat Paul. To the point where he is, uh, they have the Romans come in, and they the centurion leads them in, and they actually pick him up and carry him out because he's beaten so badly. And that's what we're going to pick up in our text today. But you got to understand, Paul has made his way to Jerusalem. He's done what he's been asked, both by God and by some of the some of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And all it's gotten him is beat up to the point of almost death. And then we're going to see what he does with that. Okay. So let's read together. Follow along with me. We're in verse 37, Acts 21, verse 37. It says, As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? And Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward D- Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished." And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Then I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who, be- who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do for this man as a Roman citizen? So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Lord, we are uh, thankful for the, the narrative of this story. God that this morning we can continue to see your hand in the life of Paul. God we thank you for um, we thank you for his endurance, for him knowing what was coming and yet still uh, continuing on, Lord, and that your church may grow, and that today we could sit here with the knowledge of your word, because your church continued to grow because of your holy Spirit working in the lives of, of sinful and, and fail, failed men and women. God, and yet you have used them for your glory to create a bride for yourself. And this morning, we are benefactors of that. And so we thank you for it. We ask that you would this morning give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, I pray for the kids that are, that are here with us, Lord, that um, they would be able to grasp and understand your grace this morning. I pray for the preschoolers. God, and and the nursery that are in the back, I pray that the teachers would be encouraged as they encourage those children to hear and to know and to be witnesses of who Christ is. God, we thank you that you've done this. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is working even now in our hearts to transform us by the power of your word. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So it's a long passage, but but I'm going to give you kind of some chunks of it. The first one is um, <clears throat> the, the first question I had when I read it was, I remember in Acts 9, we read this same account. and I'm trying to figure out why would Luke write this whole thing down again? We just did this a couple of chapters ago. Actually, it was several months ago because we've taken our time going through Acts, so it might have been last year um, that we went through Acts 9. And, and it was Almost this exact same thing. We read how Jesus came to Saul on the road to Damascus, and he was his conversion experience, and what happened there. And yet it's laid out again for us. And the Holy Spirit is leading the authors of, of Scripture to write these things down. And so Luke, who we believe wrote this down, he, he wrote it down word for word again. And it's not the last time because they're going to do it again when he goes and he makes that same, when Paul makes the same proclamation to different kings and different uh, Roman leaders. And so Paul is clinging to this one identity that he has as a witness to Jesus Christ. And so we're going to see how that is his greatest identity today. What, that is the most important thing. So Paul uses his identity as a Jew to create an avenue to proclaim his identity as a witness. That's the first thing we see. He's beaten, all right? And I think that just if we jumped right in, we would lose sight of, of what that means. He's been beaten almost to death. And so he's, he's, he had to be carried by the Roman soldiers away from the crowd. And then what does he do in that moment? He speaks to the tribune and he and he appeals to him and says, I'm a Jew and a Greek, right? He uses Greek and we see it in verse 37. May I say something to you? And he said, the tribune said, do you know Greek? How do you know this? And so there's this misunderstood identity. He thought he was the Egyptian that was the leader of the assassins out in the wilderness. And Paul replies, no, you're mistaken. I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. You see, so Paul is clinging to this identity that he has that knows it gives him some status. Okay, So his argument to the tribune is, no, I'm an educated man. I was born in this province that's recognized by the Romans, and so I have some standing. Can I speak to those people? Those, those same people that had just beat him almost to death. And so Paul uses his identity as a Jew, he uses his identity as as an educated man, as a Greek. All of this he's leveraging so that he can speak to the people again, the people that just wanted to kill him. And as we're reading this, we also know that the Holy Spirit has a role in this. Um, As he goes and begins to speak to the people, in verse 40, it says, And when he had given him permission, so the tribune said that he could speak to him, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. Now, how much could he motion? I don't know. He's, he's beaten pretty bad. But some motion he made with his hand, and, and it caused a great hush. My guess is that it wasn't his hand motion that caused the great hush. You see, the Holy Spirit wants these people that Paul's going to address to hear what he has to say. And so the Holy Spirit is moving And causes a hush. Paul first in his address to the people. Again appeals to an identity that they can understand. He says brothers and fathers. Hear the defense that I now make before you. And so now they hear it in their own tongue. In the Hebrew tongue. So first he spoke Greek. Right? Appealed to that Greek identity. So that he could get this conversation started. And now as he's addressing these Hebrew people. He's speaking to them in their own language so that they can understand and hear. So he's leveraging these different things that, he, that God has given him so that he can give an account of who Christ is. So he starts there, brothers and fathers, and he gives his defense. And then in verse 3, he says, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was a renowned teacher of the law. Right, So Paul's saying, I, I was like you. I knew the law. I studied the law. He says, I was zealous for God as all of you are this day. He's not even accusing them. He's not bringing an accusation. He's saying, I'm like you. I was zealous just like you. I didn't want any, any untruth to be spoken. And so I, I pounded it out just like you did. I, I snuffed it out. He says, I persecuted the way to death. The way being, the the early church was called the way because Jesus spoke about His way being the only way that they could come to to God. And so He said, I persecuted the way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. So He says, "I, I, I imprisoned them, I beat them, I bound them, See letters, right? And then later on, we're going to see that he was there when Stephen was killed. So he was a participant in, in uh, the killing of Stephen. And So he's, he's really relating to them. He's saying, I was just like you, zealous in his righteous persecution of the way. And so that's what, he, that's what he's starting with. He's using that identity. And he's later going to expose that identity as actually a sinful identity, but first he's just going to say, I'm like you. And then Paul goes on in verse 6 through 11 to confirm his identity as a witness of Jesus Christ. Paul gives his eyewitness account. Right? He talks about how he was on the road to Damascus. And, and kids, you've probably heard the story where, where Paul is on the road to Damascus and a great light is shown and he's blind right? And we see it in verse 6 and 7. And I fell to verse 7, I fell to the ground and I heard a voice. So not only does he see the light and he's blinded, but then he hears a voice. And the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That voice, is the first voice that he hears is actually a declaration that Paul is on the wrong side. You are persecuting me. You are against me. Now, the beauty of it is Paul has already tied himself to these Jews, and he's already said, I'm just like you. And now he's proclaiming that I was wrong. I was persecuting the Christ. And so he's also inferring that you're wrong, that you have, you too have persecuted Christ. And it's possible that some of these same people were there decades before when Christ was brought into that city. And they may have been part of that group of people that shot to crucify him. And so Paul's relating to them, saying that we're the same. And then he's saying, and we're sinners. We were on the wrong side. I was on the wrong side. 22 verse 7, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 22 verse 8, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. When we talk about the gospel, we love the beauty of Christ. Right? We get excited about that. We get excited about uh, what he's done, that he would love us so much, but we often kind of gloss over that first bad news part, that we are persecutors of Christ, that we were rebels, that we were wrong, right? And so Paul is relating that to the, to the people, saying, hey, we are wrong. We have persecuted Christ, and yet he came, and his grace is sufficient, Let's continue to read verse 9. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. Since he couldn't see, he was led to, to Damascus. Someone took his hand and led him there. And in Damascus, verse 12, he met Ananias, a devout man, according to the law well spoken of by all the Jews who live there. Again, He's appealing to those that he's speaking to. Now you have to understand this man Ananias, all of the Jews respected him for what he what he taught and who he was. And he came to me and standing by me, he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight. This wasn't uh this was a miracle that he was blind and yet now he saw. Right, And we've seen how the Holy Spirit has worked in the book of Acts to do these miracles. And all of these miracles pointed, all of these external healing miracles or raising someone from the dead, these great miracles have all pointed to the greater miracle, which is the transformation of the heart. And so we see it again in Paul's life where he was blind, and yet now, he's, now he would see. Reminds me of the story in Matthew 9, Jesus healing the paralytic. Matthew 9, 4 through 8 says, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. The same thing is happening in Paul's heart. Right? This, this healing that has taken place of his vision where he was blind but now he sees is also taking place in his heart. The greater miracle is, is this persecutor of the church, this man who assaulted and, and sought to kill and snuff it out completely, is now being changed in his heart by the grace of God. And what happens after he receives his sight Verse 14, Ananias is still speaking to Paul, and he says, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Paul's given this vision of Jesus. He's seen the righteous one. So he goes from persecutor of this Jesus to now, because of the healing that has taken place, the transformation that's taken place in his heart, now he believes that he is the Son of God. And he's given this authority and this call and this charge, commission, to go and be a witness for him, to everyone of what he's seen and heard. And he's given further instructions, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. You see, the Jesus that saved Paul and that healed his, healed his sight, Right? Is the same Jesus whose, whose name we call upon for the redemption of sin. It talks about repenting and turning away from those things and then being baptized. And that baptism is this outward expression of an inward thing that's already been done, similar to the healing of his eyes. It's an outward expression, an outward miracle of the miracle that's taken place in his heart, the transformation that's happened. And so Ananias gives him instruction to go. Rise, go, right? Be baptized, repent of the way in which you used to persecute Jesus, die to the old self and rise anew. And he's told to call on Jesus. It says in, in uh, verse 16, Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. We're going to sing that song, uh, Nothing But the Blood, that washes away our sins, right? knowing that it's Jesus and He's the only one. The shedding of His blood has washed away our sins. And then not only has He done that, but He's also given us His righteousness. And Jesus alone has the authority to do this. That name alone has the authority to forgive sin. Colossians Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is Paul's understanding of the gospel. This is the identity that he's pointing to, that he's, that he's drawing all of these, the, the Jewish people that he's addressing into this identity and saying, hey, this is who we are because of what Christ has done. And Paul understood the depth of his sin because Jesus himself confronted him. He was confronted by Jesus who said, Paul, you have persecuted me. You have been wrong." And he also understood that, that the salvation that was offered to him was a benefit to him. But more than that, he understood that that same salvation had the goal of pointing to the glory of God. First Timothy one 12 through 12-17 says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed to me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in Him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. we got to remember that Paul may be laying, maybe they're helping him sit up. He's he's beaten pretty bad. He's battered, and yet this is, this is the witness that he's given. This is the good news that he's sharing in his most vulnerable state. And he's leveraging everything he has so that he can make this proclamation to a people that need to hear it. A people that are crying out for his death. And he's leveraging all of these things so that he can be the witness that God has called him to be. And so Paul embraces this call to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. We see it as he can his, as he finishes his narrative of um, the road to Damascus, the Damascus road, he says, "After that, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, this is verse seventeen, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, "'Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me." And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you." And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul's rehashing this with this crowd in Jerusalem. And yet we have read over the last uh, about 10 chapters how Paul has gone and how he has preached the gospel to the Gentiles. Right? He's He's taken this identity, and he's embraced it, and he's run with it. All of it because he knows the great grace that's been shown to him. He's moved from law, where he he sat under the law and learned the law, to now understanding grace, because he knew that he was a persecutor, that he was on the wrong side, and he did it in such a way that he just was the worst of sinners, he says. He says, of whom I am the foremost sinner, And so now he's understanding grace. Romans 9, 30 through 10, 4 says, What what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written behold I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And he continues on brothers my heart's desire and prayer for God to God for them is that they may be saved. See it's not only a, it's not, not only something that he wrote down. He's he's living this same desire because what's he doing? He's leveraging his identity as a Greek, as a Jew, so that he can have this one last chance to speak to this people that are trying to kill him, to share with them the greatest news that that they can hear. And so we read the, the, the letter to the Romans, and it could just be words on a page, and yet we also look at his life, and we look at how he lived it out, and he's doing it. He's leveraging everything by the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. What does all this mean for us today? As we've seen and heard Paul proclaim Jesus, we're often in awe of his proclamation, right? Even even standing here and saying, now he's living it out, becomes this thing where we kind of put him on this pedestal. And that's not true. Paul's no great man. It's the Holy Spirit working in his heart that's doing all of these great things. But we do look at his life and we see some things that we're like, man, that's awesome. His boldness. Right? his clarity, his understanding of the gospel, that he can speak it in a way that, that he can relate to other people, the contextualization that he uses, where to a Greek he becomes a Greek, to the Jew he becomes the Jew, and he, he uses all of these things that God has given him, and he leverages them so that he can speak the truth to people. I often ask the question, why I don't proclaim Christ with this same conviction, I try not to run too far down this because it can be a little overwhelming sometimes. And yet, that's a question that we should be asking. Why am I not, why don't I not see the same boldness in my life? Why would I not leverage my other identities to, to be able to witness and to proclaim Christ? And I think that the reality is that I just don't believe it just don't believe that tr- the truth of that one identity that I have. Maybe I've uh, glossed over some of the sin, right? And I don't think that I'm as bad as the Bible says that I am. And so I didn't need as great a Savior as the Bible says that I have. Or maybe I just don't th- believe that God is as holy as He says He is. Right? We, we, man, we use that diagram, and I use it all the time. Right? We've got... You've got the holiness of Christ here. and You've got the sinfulness of man. And if, if we're growing, we're starting to understand more and more our sinfulness and more and more the holiness of Christ. And the only thing that can span that gap is Jesus and His cross. And so as we see His holiness and we're drawn to that, and we say, man, that's a good God. That's a just God. I want that. And yet I'm the sinner and I'm broken. And even the good things that I do in my life are often so that people would say that I'm a good dude. <laughs> and that's pride. right? And so I, I just begin to understand the sinfulness that I have. And yet it just makes more of the Savior that we have. The Christ that we've been given who has redeemed us and reconciled those two things. A sinful man and a holy God together because of what He did at the cross And so if I don't believe that, if I'm not meditating on that, if I'm not diving into His Word and remembering and having friends and family that are preaching that same gospel to me, I'm going to forget. And then I'm not going to have the boldness. But if I'm believing that, if by the Holy Spirit I'm starting to take hold of these things in my mind and in my heart, and it's really becoming a reality for me, then I'm going to boldly proclaim like Paul did. So the question... Why don't I do those things? It's because I don't believe. God, give me the gift that you gave Paul of faith. The gift of grace that I would know that it doesn't even depend on my proclamation. It, it's just something that I get to do. It's not a demand that I have to go and do those things. But if I truly believe it, I'm going to do it. Right? We're going to do it. We're going to do it to our kids. We're going to share that gospel with our children. We're going to share that gospel with our spouses. We're going to share it with our s- uh, uh, the fellow students, right? We're going to have these opportunities to share that gospel. So why do I not do it? It's often because I don't believe. And Paul didn't, didn't deny his other identities, right? We think about, well, if my greatest identity is, is to be a Christian, to be a gospel witness, what about my other identities that I have? Well, God's given us those identities, Right, We have an identity as a faithful worker, maybe. We have an identity as a good father. We have an identity as a, as a loyal son or daughter. Right, we've, given these, we've been given these other identities that we're not just going to throw out and deny, but God has given us those things to leverage, just as he gave Paul the ability to speak Greek, Right, to, to have grown up in the Jewish faith, to have studied the law and know it. He doesn't deny those identities. He actually leverages those identities so that he can have more opportunities to speak the truth of who Christ is. And he keeps coming back to this one one story about how he was on the road to Damascus and he saw Jesus. Is that the story that we tell? Or do do we instead not leverage those identities, but we kind of pick and choose the ones that we like and we really build those See, Paul was a Jew of Jews. He he spoke Greek. He was educated, very educated. He was a Roman. And all of those things are things that he could have just clung to and said, that's who I am. And yet every time he uses those things to point to his identity as a witness of Jesus Christ. Even this last section, right? Verses 22 through 29, Paul is declaring his Roman citizenship as they're going to the, the the soldiers have come and gotten him and they've taken him back and now they're going to flog him because he hasn't been beat enough. They're going to flog him to get the truth out of what he's doing and, and try to figure out why he's inciting this riot. And yet in the midst of that, he says, um, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? In verse 25. And so he says that to the centurion. The centurion says, whoa. And he goes and gets his boss, the tribune, and he says... We're about to do something, and it's going to get us in a lot of trouble. We need to stop doing this right now. All right? And then so that tribune comes back, and he says, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. And the tribune answered, I bought this citizenship. So the tribune's trying to relate to him and says, I bought it for a large sum. And, and Paul goes beyond that, and he says, actually, I was born into this. This is who I am. I, I'm a citizen by birth. So even this leveraging, right? And we could say, well, isn't he just trying to save his own teeth here, right? Isn't he just trying to save his own skin? He doesn't want to get beat anymore. But no, he has this identity that that he's going to go to Jerusalem and then to Rome. And he knows he's not in Rome yet, so he's going to use this identity so that hopefully he can further the gospel, so that he can proclaim it to more people. He knew his work was not complete, and we're going to see that later on, he's going to use this Roman identity to appeal to Caesar, and that's going to take him from Jerusalem to Rome. So all of these things, he's not leveraging for his own name, for his own sake, but he's leveraging them for the gospel and for the proclamation of Jesus Christ. He knew that witness was his greatest identity. And he knew that it was his greatest identity because it wasn't about him. It was about Jesus There's a better story. The story of redemption of all of mankind is a better story than one little piece that you or I have. And so because it was a better story, it's a better identity. Galatians 2.20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What about us? right? What identities do we have that, like Paul, we can leverage for the gospel? We can say, I- I've died to all of these things, and yet I can use those things for Christ. Some examples of our, of our identities could be education, right? If we're well-educated, it's going to open some doors that wouldn't be open to us. If we're an American, right, our nationality, it's going to open some doors that wouldn't be open to other people, if we've been um, given, uh, we've we've been born into something, right? Even even Paul is relying on some of the stuff that he was born into. He didn't become a Roman citizen; he was born into it. Maybe you have an intellect, or you have an athletic ability, or you have something that God has given you that you're finding your identity in. And God is saying, "No, that is not who you are. That is a piece, but it's not the greatest identity you have." Maybe you're you work at home raising your children. And that's a huge identity piece for you, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a good gift of God, and he's asking you to leverage that identity as a proclaimer and a witness to Jesus Christ. Think about those those identities that you have. And then as we think about those things, have any of them taken a priority over our identity as a witness to Christ? Right? We can, we can all think of... How do I define myself? How do other people define me? What are some things that, that I have as an identity? And have any of those things been more important than who I am in Christ? One of the questions that I would leave you with is how would you fill in this, this statement? In my life, have I let my identity as blank dominate my identity as Christian? In my life, have I let my identity as blank dominate my identity as Christian and you can fill it you can fill that in with good things right it could be a good father could be for me it's a a loving husband a, a serving pastor right a good baseball coach whatever it is that you're filling in this with have I let that become the thing that defines me see all of these are good identities but they serve my greatest and eternal identity If the Bible is true and we believe that it is, then all of these other identities are going to pass away. All of these other things are going to fail. One day you're not going to be the coworker. One day you're not going to be the student. One day you're not even going to be the mom or the dad because in, in heaven we don't know what it's going to look like. But we're going to be so enraptured with Jesus' face that all of those other identities are going to pass away. Revelation 5, 9-14 through 14 says, And they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth then i looked and i heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who is slain Forever we will be participants in the worship of a great God. I pray that that would be the identity that we lean into, that we would see it in Scripture that that these apostles and these men of God are are laying down these other identities or leveraging these other identities so that they can point to who Christ was. Lord, we uh, stand in awe of you today. God, even as we read this last scripture in Revelation where one day we're going we're to bow down and our words are going to be insufficient and our bowing will be insufficient and we're going we're to do it forever, proclaiming a great God, a holy God, one who is worthy. So Lord, we pray that even this morning you would do that in our hearts, that we would believe that what you've done is worthy of praise and then that we would praise. Got to pray for the kids that are here this morning that they've heard God that their first identity, their greatest position in life is to be a child of God, to be purchased by the precious blood of the lamb. Got to pray for every adult here that if we've heard that same thing that we believe it to be true, that we trust that your grace is sufficient, even for this past week. God, that might have been a real doozy. Your grace is sufficient. God, and you have purchased us. And so we stand in that identity and we proclaim a great Savior and a great Lord. We thank you for all of these things in your name. Amen.